0: This is FinTech Unplugged with Suresh Vajani and me, Robert Portnage. Hey, Robert,
1: long time. Speaking I know. What? I Six know. weeks. You
0: Saw my helicopter back there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I needed to heli into this wildlife reserve. How did you get here on your on your scooter again?
1: Uh, no, I walked it. You know, carbon footprint and all of that.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm not that good in carbon footprint, <laughs> but I, I like to pay back. So, um, so you might wonder why I got you to to, to come to this. Uh, you know, what reserve. do you
1: know about nature? You don't do anything about that well, kind of I, stuff.
0: Why wouldn't I be in the nature reserve? I, I love nature reserves.
1: Because the only ones I've seen you or I've heard about is the ones that are at the beach. The
0: and beach? Yeah, when people's well, world, we're, we're wearing... There's nobody wearing any clothes. There's rare, rare terns flying in the sky. <laughs> and the seagulls. And we're naturalists, not naturists. There's okay. a difference. I just... Anyway, we're just here... a mental block. We're here because there is a rare species that we've come to see in this very, very unusual...
1: So what animal, what animal is that?
0: It's the female CEO. Actually,
1: I've heard something interesting. Yeah. Apparently, there are more male CEOs of the name John than entire female CEOs around the world. No way. I was thinking I would like to see the stats for Robert, but I, I, I I've been there's told there's that about one John.
0: one Robert CEO in the world, and that's me. That's enough. Yeah, that's, that's all the world can cope with.
1: But... There is, there's a reason for that. So today we have a, a very rare species, a female CEO. So we have the CEO of Banking Blocks, Daria, all the way from Australia.
2: Sure, four years ago, but I'm oh? still recovering from the trip. It was a so long walk. It was such a long swim, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. Obviously,
0: you've come here for the weather.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. And just this smooth political climate as well. That was the other big card it? for me. Yeah.
0: No No uncertainty. Very strong currency.
2: Absolutely. Investors. Yeah, things aren't changing at all. So yeah.
1: where is home for the last four years?
2: Um, I'm between Belgium and Amsterdam. So that's where home is for me. So I have an office based in Amsterdam, but also um, in Brussels.
1: So. Robert loves Amsterdam. He does lots of window shopping there. And he also we, has lots we, of cakes We did a great
0: podcast live on familiar. stage, didn't we? On Money 2020. It was messy. I can't remember much of it, to be honest. But I believe it went well. <laughs> It was a, it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it, was a, it was a bit of a blur, Amsterdam, to be fair. But the event went well, I think. It was a
1: big success. We were told that it was, of three events, it was, uh, it was three that one, were standing, yeah. standing room and in, so. two,
0: two, two had me involved in them. Just, just throwing that in. Only one had you. <laughs> There's always a downside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us a bit about your background. How, how did you get into this space? What, 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 what made you end up where
2: you are today? Bit of an up and down story, but I was working in Stretch a customer. <laughs> I was actually working in a customer service function for a payments company when I was studying at university, and they had a really significant number of AML and fraud issues that were occurring. Um, and that was 2006 to 2008. Um, so you know, as a ignorant and um... you started
1: working at the age of ten.
2: I did, thank you very much. And I also did He's pay him so to say polite, that. Isn't I know, he? yeah. It's the Botox well. and the makeup. <laughs> and, he, and
0: he wouldn't even know, but his forehead never moved. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, basically, I was working uh, in a support department for a payments company, huge AML issues. Massive problems with fraud, no great systems, nothing happening, nothing working, every bank in Australia. (laughs) Yeah, no. And um, yeah, and so for me, it just seemed like something that was, you know, should be a lot easier than it was. So I approached somebody who had some money and pitched the idea of building uh, a payment gateway that was much more focused on compliance. So that was the start of um, my journey. So it was building technology systems that were more uh, focused on Fraud and AML management doesn't sound very sexy, and then I started working for a number of PSPs, basically working on the compliance risk side, which was the how to make money side, which people don't generally actually understand because if you're not doing it properly, you're not making money for a very long time. So a little fraud can go a long way. Yes, it can. It can. Yeah, just like butter. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So that was many years ago, and um, then I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Um, guys, that's actually a teakwood moisturiser um, process. Anyway, okay. my brother is a guitar craftsman. That's where that joke came from. I thought you were going to say he's a too. French polisher. Oh, that would have been funnier and would have destroyed my (laughs) relationship with my brother, no doubt. So yeah, so when we were doing that, I just started working um, with a lot of basically uh, European acquirers and European fintechs who were trying to move into issuing wallet creation, um, banking themselves or trying to solve settlement issues they were having. So um, I investigated the space and realized that that was an opportunity um, to move. So I uh, moved over, set up a payment institution um, in Belgium and yeah, got Why started Belgium? a few years ago. You like the beer or I just, I just, the I, just I just love the combination of Flemish and French and no English at all, yeah. No, I'm um, sorry. No, I investigated a lot. Oh, I can't, oh, I'm just, I'm, insult- I'm insulting my people. Um, you love your people. I do love my people. No, um, I, I'm a UK citizen. Thank you, Commonwealth. And I was going to set it up here, but Brexit was looming and it just kind of started at that time. Um, And so then I investigated uh, basically Luxembourg, Netherlands and uh, Belgium because I wanted to be in either the Benelux region or the UK. Yeah. Yeah. And I chose Belgium because at the time it was a very underserviced market with a lot of opportunities and it still pretty much is. It has one of the lowest number of licenses granted for the Benelux region. Oh, wow. Anyway.
1: So when you first left Australia, the first thing that you did, that's not what you're doing now. You've literally like, had three iterations of it.
2: Uh, yeah. So that was just my background and history from when it, I was a it. wee chap. So you've been um, there, done it. Yeah. And I did it great. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So when I came to Europe, the purpose was to set up Banking Blocks as a new business. Um, and the specific um, purpose was to provide more of a back-end solution to fintechs and payment companies that actually gave them access to a real acquiring, issuing, real IBAN, SWIFT, SEPA payment products, um, rather than actually focusing on the front-end user experience or just one small market, which is something that I had seen ongoing.
1: It's interesting. So I went, I think it was about two years ago, I went on a delegation to Australia with the with the mayor. And I learned and- that.
2: Yeah. I, 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 didn't, gloves I, didn't, I didn't talk about my
1: allegiance <laughs> with the robot, that was, they wouldn't have got me back. And I met with ANZ Bank, I met with, you know, I met with Commonwealth Bank. They had all of these innovation hubs, hmm. and it seems like there was so much innovation for the sake of innovation. I won't mention the bank, but I went there, and they had spent a fortune on this talking robot. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, well, what, what does it do? And it says, oh, when you go in, it can direct you to which desk you should go to like a to sign right yes, yeah. yes. That's a bit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like a sign got it got it
1: and they had spent yeah. millions on it and it seems like they didn't want to do a lot of collaboration they just <laughs> thought they knew what they they've got shed loads of money to spend and they were innovating for the sake of innovation so how do you come from an environment like that that's quite protected you know you've come to europe where it's almost the fintech capital of the world
2: yeah, um, look, it is really different. And because I left four years ago, there was actually even less interest or investment in fintech and those types of things back then. So um, I came with a very hot, um, open and happy heart because there is actual opportunity here. So the Australian government and the regulations have been op- opening up recently for the small banking licences. But before that, if you weren't one of the major banks, you weren't getting in anywhere.
1: So you're not tempted to go back there with all you've got? Because at the moment, The money is flowing like crazy in Australia. I know, I know.
2: Yeah, it is, it is. But look, the purpose of really our offering is not to be the utility provider that's out there offering the sexy fintech apps and the way that customers are getting in there. We're really trying to sit behind those groups and give them the proper banking access. So while Australia is a fantastic market, it's still a small market and you are going to have some major players. Many will succeed and many will not succeed um, themselves but they're really in bed with a lot of the major banks already themselves or, or moving over as well whereas the purpose of my vision and banking blocks was to be able to allow fintechs non-licensed organizations or pi or emi licensed organizations to be able to actually challenge the traditional banks whereas that framework doesn't really exist so much in australia
0: i guess it's quite useful out there and certainly europe has got this impetus at the moment in that space, not just by businesses, but also all the regulators in Europe are really hotting up in this space. We're getting a lot of exciting, some of it frustrating, but mostly exciting regulation that's pushing the banks to accept more fintech. Exactly, the, the whole open banking scenario mm-hmm. is embracing, uh, and it's probably not quite the same outside
2: Europe. It's so. not, and you know the general standard way that Australia has operated since it began as a colony is to sit back and watch what everyone else is doing wait four five six ten years and then just take the best of those bits and implement those and ignore the rest so, so you know,
0: wait and bad. see policy.
2: yeah so you know as long as this works out by the time i get home although well, to be, be right. fair when it
1: comes to pension funds i guess
0: australia running the show globally absolutely yeah. we do well have you us. didn't have a banking crisis like the rest of the world no
2: we didn't but you know we're do rely on the Chinese economy a lot. So watch <laughs> this space, everybody. It's a coming. So,
1: so, so Dario, we normally have something called the bin of confusion. But as we're in this strange place that Robert's brought us to, he's got a, a seed bag of confusion. So while he goes in there with the first question, I just want to ask you, what, one of the things we spoke about was the fact that we, we don't see many female CEOs. Mm. And just from a high level, from a no-nonsense perspective, why do you think that is?
2: Look, I, I, I mean, from a high-level perspective, that's a really difficult question because it is such a combination of historical okay, however factors. You it, however Whenever you put want to I want to. Men are in letting us no, joking. In the
1: Australian way.
2: Oh, I can't. Be. No, sorry. I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, look, I think it is changing. It also depends on what sectors you're in as well, especially in finance and banking. Normally the age to become a CEO is quite a senior age as well, um, and many women, given that they are child-rearing, these types of things end up in a position where they maybe don't make it in time because of those few small gaps. That is absolutely changing. I think that's a historical reason. If you look into you know, fashion and beauty and nutrition areas, you get a lot more female CEOs as well. I But I think a lot of that isn't an interest-based thing. I think it's an acceptance-based thing. Um, I speak at a lot of uh, female payment and fintech events and a lot of women who I know as well who have a drive to be leaders, to be CEOs and to do those things, sometimes will actually choose one of the more, you know, female-oriented, wavy jazz hands um, industries because they feel like they'll be accepted more easily and there won't be as much of a struggle. But, you know, life's short. And and life's a struggle.
1: (laughs) Payments compared to banking? I mean, would you say banking is even worse or better? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I would
2: say banking is worse in my experience. Um, Payments is um, growing from a female um, CEO perspective, but a lot of it in what I've seen is to do with um, fintechs who are actually looking at social responsibility, financial inclusion, uh, and, you know, the, the better parts of the finance and payment world. So... Yeah, I mean, that's my experience so far. That said, I know a lot of women who are going to be making that leap and that change very soon. So I think we're kind of on the cusp of of a big shift um, in the market.
0: And and specifically, you you have won two awards. And I I would like to understand what the first one is the Australian Government's Advanced Award. Is that what you get when you pass high school?
2: Exactly right. And I didn't even pass. It was right when
1: I I swam 10 metres.
0: Yeah!
2: So yeah, you get a little sippy popper, sippy yeah, cup, and a nice little it. badge. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, look, well, it's it's called Advance Global. It's a um, an Australian initiative that's backed by the Australian government. And the purpose of it is to identify, support, and really showcase Australians who have made a really large impact globally, as opposed to domestically in Australia. And how, um, how did that feel?
0: That must have been... A really, was it a surprise? Were you, yeah, you aware of
2: it? I, I was surprised because I didn't enter in it, um, so that was surprising, um, and also because I won the um, advanced award for financial excellence. Abroad, and I didn't study finance um, <laughs> at university. So there you go, Mum. I can be anything I want to be. So, wow, but yeah, wow. no, it Very was it impressive. was nice. It was exciting. So
0: congratulations. Yeah, and um, also
2: as someone who's not in Australia, it's really nice to have a little bit of a, a bit home, a bit of home, a bit of a connection. And when I'm at the pub next time there, I can say something that someone. Might Do, understand. She you just like to
0: leave the award on the pub? You yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just having a few pints here. Yeah, no, I'm pints. actually
2: going to get it crafted into a tiara so that I can wear <laughs> everywhere I go. Yeah, I actually don't even know if it is an award because the ceremony is in a few weeks. Oh, so wow. So it's actually just Exciting. been hour. Very fresh. That is Very so fresh. Very fresh.
0: Yeah. And what about this other one that you've got? The Emerging Fintech Payment Leader of the Year by the European Women Payments Network.
2: Yeah, so the EWPN is a really fantastic organisation because they gave me an award. No, I'm joking, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. They Without are paying f- for it. Without paying, no. They, no, they're wonderful. Um, they're really, in my view, the leaders in terms of putting together these like women events and really helping push and propel women to be successful um, in the finance and uh, payments field. So, so, yeah, they have um, many meetups, many sessions, lots of mentoring activities and a gala dinner every year. And, um, yeah, I won the Emerging Fintech Leader of the Year.
1: One of the things, you you know, when it comes to kind of diversity is you hear different views of how it should be done. Yep. And, and, you know, I've heard things where people say, you know, there should be Uh quotas for what we have, you know, in terms of, you know, male female, whether it's at the board level, whether it's at the management level. Um, And then you get others that are saying, well, no, no, you should, you know, it should be in a different way. I mean, what are your thoughts? Are you are you a fan of quotas? I don't like
2: the quotas. It, it reminds me of my dinner as a child, where mum made me eat a certain amount of green vegetables to protein and grains and wow. everything. And for me, and it's was very that good for your
0: nutrition. I
2: like. Well, I was I was quite overweight as a child, so I I don't actually know. Look, I'm I don't. People are putting quotas in because they need to do something. I guess that's the purpose of it, not because we actually think there needs to be this many specific, yeah, specific. John, try that on the people. People? No. I could go for it. Thank you. Um, people are putting quotas in place because something has to be done. Um, I do not believe that we should be having you know diversity and gender quotas for the purpose of people looking different and being different in an organisation. I think that it's just um, cultural and social change that's actually what's needed more so. The women's events have been really good at getting women together and having them scream at each other, Have confidence, ignore the guys, it doesn't matter, you can do it, which is great. Um, Does that but mean on the other side, it, or, or do you just a lot become of the guys. <laughs> yeah, bit of both, bit of both. But on the other side, you've got the group of guys at the pub who are all getting a bit pissed off because all the girls are together having a bit of a like, you know, rallying themselves up and they're not there and what's going on. So, you know, I think it's great for the women to be supporting each other and to really be showing uh, leadership to each other and mentorship and what it does look like to be successful. But I think men need to actually do a lot for things to change as well, whether or not that's just putting barking shock collars on every guy. So every time they think something misogynistic at gives them a bit of a electric shock or if it's more just uh, of those hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's your Honey. personal business um no <laughs> sorry
0: I shouldn't have given you the control
2: oh! <laughs> no but look I think a lot of it it's, it's just how you do things and run your business so we have a culture in our organization which is to not mansplain and not ladiesplain either so you know I was in a meeting the other day and um my, another C-level woman in my team, my COO who oversees finance and IT, she's a woman, as I just said four times, um, and she was explaining something incredibly detailed to someone. And then a man overrode her and said the same thing, but in far less detail. And then another guy on the team interrupted him to say, thank you, that's what she just said. And those small things that guys do, which is actually calling out other guys sometimes for you know, doing these types of things and behaving mm. this way, you know, that can help. Don't think it was your question. No. But I did speak a lot. It's <laughs> all right.
0: I, I had a similar situation with my son. I was at, a, at the school open day thing where yeah. you're teaching, talking to teachers and we just leave his English teacher. I'm walking off and he just looks at me and said, you splayed the whole time. How could you do that in front of a female teacher? Splayed. <laughs> my legs were up. Oh, I sat like this at a desk.
2: Yeah. Getting comfy. You
0: don't do that. It's not allowed. Well, it's and not a bus. The young of today spot that straight away. Yeah, keep oh, your legs crossed. Legs Suresh. crossed, guy. Were you, wait, were you in a skirt?
2: No. Well, then I see no problem with that at all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't wear skirts.
2: Yeah. Look, I'm. I'm not. The rest never...
0: doesn't wear anything to these podcasts. He's always naked. But at least no one can see. And the that's why I'm feeling a little nervous really right well. now. Yeah,
2: it's great. It's great. So um, <laughs> we're
0: going to dive into this bin of confusion okay. and let's see see what comes out. So, okay. Um. This is a good one. Which Spice Girl would you be?
2: Oh, absolutely scary spice. Thank you very much, Robert. That was a great question. Yeah, that
0: was good. (laughs) They do have some random stuff in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's nothing (laughs) to do with banking. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What are the most spectacular mistakes you've seen in the industry?
2: Oh. Well, look, um, the main clients that we work with are fintechs, so, but mainly challenger banks and neobanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we work with either startups, the so ones who have just come up with a new app and they're actually looking to convert into banking. Um, and those ones had their own issues. But the most spectacular mistakes I've seen have been some of the actual larger neobanks and challenger banks. So, you know, a lot of them have the mentality of move fast, get shit done. Break things, get it done, which is great unless it's my money that's in your facility and then I'm less okay with it. So some of the major issues um, and mistakes I've seen are these neobanks and challenges just moving into other business lines to try and actually make some revenue, specifically moving into SME and corporate account um, industries. There's been a lot lot of of it. It's all happening now. and. The problem is, uh, you know, acquisition can be fast if you automate everything. And a lot of these fintechs and neobanks are really operating um, on a lot of internal AI and machine learning intelligence for all of their risk management. And because they have been operating for retail customers to date, a lot of them enter into this space and then realize that they actually don't have either the internal controls, the data to build that off all the actual people, so the resources in the compliance departments to manage that. So you go from AI risk management systems that monitor AML that are mainly looking at small level consumer spending of £50 or a few hundred pounds, all of a sudden your customer base is transacting at 50 <laughs> k minimum up to a million a month. Um, and what you've seen is a really large portion um, of corporate accounts being closed and the fintechs and the neobanks are just not in a position where they're prepared um, to be able to actually process those issues, process the compliance problems and get them open and approved fast enough for the actual consumers. So it went from everything's way too easy, so easy, get on board two clicks and I'm live, to it can be up to four or five months before somebody's account can be unblocked. And I personally am aware of a few companies who have almost gone bankrupt or had to close their businesses because of this. Oh, wow. Um, and, and the reality is these fintechs and neobanks, in many cases, are payment institution licensed or EMI licensed, or have very important relationships with their supplier or agency banks, and they cannot make the mistakes. They can't, for the purpose of getting through the user experience for the corporates, just release all the accounts and open them up. They need to do the pro- proper thing. They there, have yeah. to actually look at the transactions and make a human touch decision. And that's one of the biggest mistakes I've seen with neobanks because they all went out customer acquisition crazy crazy doesn't make your money though right no. and so yeah they're pivoting lines but they haven't got the infrastructure or the people to be able to do it so that's one of them that's great
0: so, actually, so i want to dive in so related to that i've got another question oh you, you like related? just related questions I, I just dive in and see
2: what's in that
1: yeah <laughs> are some issuers sleepwalking into a big problems with the reliance of their emi license
2: Um, It depends. Look, a lot of it, it all comes down to business strategy and business planning of the companies behind it. I think it's not the issuers, but it's more the challenger banks and the neobanks a lot of the time walking into some problems by building their entire business models around these. One of the main questions and projects that we work on with neobanks, are ones looking to move to either a proper debit card solution Proper eye band connected big solution with individual Accounts per customer, the ability to actually convert to multi currency, etc. etc. And what they don't understand is that they have maybe aligned themselves with an EMI and an issuer that provides only prepaid products, that maybe only provides currency bins in euro or GBP, and that they are not in a position to actually pivot so quickly into multi currency, into different banking, etc. etc. Which makes the Life cycle of a neobank complex and difficult because the purpose is to get as many customers on board as you can and then monetize. But if you can't actually convert your product from a every now and again spending product that's a bit fun with funky utility to an actual banking service where people will put their salaries, get their pension payments, um, you know, use it for all of their day-to-day banking, you're never going to be able to take those customers off the high street banks. And, you know, and become profitable.
1: And have you seen, just with the EMI stuff, have you seen a lot of applications in Netherlands and in that region? And what's the kind of... Is yeah. There, is there a lot happening there at the moment? There's a lot happening
2: everywhere in Europe right now since Brexit went down. So, yeah, there's a lot of applications. Um, I think the DMV was set at the Dutch National Bank, um, released recently a notification that there's a delay now on all processing of many of the applications because there just are so many But that's another mistake that a lot of these groups are making. Um, I know a successful UK EMI who has just set up and spent a lot of money and a year and a half getting their EMI live and set up in Cyprus and didn't realize that with an EMI in Cyprus, they cannot get access to the SEPA network. Which was the purpose of them being regulated and licensed in Europe, so that they could access SEPA and not have to use alternative clearing or Currency Cloud or something like this. And you know, like hasn't
0: implemented PSD two yet either. Uh, yeah,
2: and, and depending on what part or of MLD4. yeah, and if you cross <laughs> the border, you're not in Europe anymore, semi. Yeah. So you know, it's yeah. but that's a big issue as well. So a lot of the neobanks and fintechs here, I need a license, I need an issuer, I need a this, I need a that. They don't actually understand the implications of those licenses, where they need them, how important it is to maintain and keep your license and therefore the actual business model you need to build internally in the company to be able to actually provide that level of governance and, and support that is required, or even the access. I had a e wallet provider who has a connected prepaid card the other day inform me that they're going to convert it into a multi-currency debit through a back-end they're just going to change the bin in the back end. So I asked them if they were going to ship like a metal file um, and maybe scissors to everybody. Um, But, you know, this is the lead project. Um, This was a Dutch-based group as well, a lead project officer for cards, um, who really actually thought that they could just transfer their prepaid, already issued, one-currency cards into a multi-currency debit card. Um, And they're the ones that are doing... You know the business analysis and presenting upwards to their boards. Um, Scary. Yeah, so I think there's a there's a lot of people sleepwalking into the wrong regulation, the wrong relationships.
1: And just out of curiosity, if you were applying for an e-money license anywhere in Europe, and I'm including the UK in there, yeah, based on everything that you hear, see, where would you apply?
2: Um, and why? Well, right now I'd apply in the UK because I'm licensed in Europe, so I have the reverse Brexit issue okay, that so a lot of other you've people got no have. License anywhere. Um, I would, if I had no license anywhere, I would be looking in the Benelux region, which is what I already did. Um, so yeah, Belgium, Luxembourg, Netherlands is where I would probably be because? looking. Look, there's a lot of activity in Eastern Europe right now, in Lithuania and Poland and different places, um, and. That's great, it's easier, you can maybe get your account faster, maybe there's less scrutiny, but at the end of the day, your access to actual financial markets, financial rails, correspondent banking, is really damaged from being in certain regions. Um, I'm a Belgium regulated, financial institution and the Belgian regulator and the banks have a list of countries that are considered excessively high risk uh, to send money from, where we have to, for our customers, do enhanced due diligence above what we would already do just for those. These are the countries most of these EMIs are being set up in. So what happens when you're running billions in payments and clearing per day from a restricted or a higher risk region? You yourselves are not a bank, So you don't have that background and understanding in banking governance, risk control, anti-money laundering. um, And any issues that happen really do um, cut you off and and disconnect you from your ability to move money. Many of the groups in those regions have been applying for SWIFT membership and they've had a really uh, big difficulty in getting that or restricted membership. And even if they get it, they're then having an issue getting a correspondent bank that might do US dollar correspondent banking for them if they're based out of a certain country in Eastern Europe. It's not fair. These are wonderful countries with great people, but that is my experience. So if you stick to the Benelux region or the UK, but not I'm not suggesting the UK, I think that in terms of what you're trying to do, uh, can be easier. I'm
1: surprised you didn't say Ireland. I thought you might have said, well, you know, English speaking and some
0: advantages there.
2: It can be Ireland, and the reason I didn't say that is I never think of Ireland except for when it comes to going to the pub. Um, <laughs> so no, look, Ireland no, is
0: no cultural sort of uh, slur there. No, no, no.
2: Hey, I, that's as an Australian, and all of our pubs are Irish pubs. All right, you came and dominated our drinking scene. We love it. We love you. That's the end of that story. Um, no, Ireland is a good place. as well especially if people are uk based but again it's like in the netherlands right now busy 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 over there for people trying to set up and get going and th- that is an option
1: shouldn't you like be telling people to go somewhere else because you don't want them all to get all the money licenses where you are i should but no. i'm
2: a bad salesperson and yeah. i'm just answering you honestly.
0: <laughs> have some more drink
2: oh, Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's a, that's a great so idea let's
0: should we dive back in yeah so dive in Suresh. come on you pick one
2: i mean I can just start saying things if you want and read into the bag. I'll just choose my own one from this. Why don't you pick one out? out. We've never had
0: that. You dive in. All right, I'm
2: going to dive in and I'm going to say, Daria, do you think you are the most beautiful... No, sorry, that's not what that asked me. Um, That's from Snow White, Okay, it is. It is. Right up my alley. Okay, look. One of the... I've just looked at two questions. So one of them is, you know, technology's always been the biggest differentiator when it comes to the old banking world versus the challenger and neo banks. And you know, do I think that's going to continue um, mm-hmm. going forward? And um, and is that going to make a difference to the models ahead? Um, and I think we're actually coming up to a really interesting time in the market right now. So banks are banks. They're good at moving money and being banks and not answering the phone. Um, Neobanks have come out and fintechs have come out and they've really focused on the utility, the customer experience, the sexy apps, everything that banks haven't been able to do. But now we're at a point where they're not going to get much better or get anywhere from there unless they actually start converting into banks so that they actually have that ability to Use deposits to earn interest to lend the money that they've got sitting in their accounts to Traditional actually banking. yeah to actually earn revenue because the fintech model is free freemium you know free, free sign everyone. up free everything free everything which is great unless you're a venture capitalist um, you know so but that's one of the issues so they need at some point to make money so they either need to convert more into traditional banks, which is licensing, time, money, learning, or the traditional banks need to adopt that front-end utility. And the reality is it's going to be easier for a lot of the banks to actually wrap around some sexy technology. Absolutely. Um, But one of the things I don't think is going to happen, like we all thought, is I don't think we're going to see as many of these big banks actually acquiring the neobanks that are going ahead. Oh, One reason being they are ridiculously overvalued right now. The valuations on neobanks is based on customer acquisition. The valuations on banks is based on deposits and how much money you have in the bank. So, A, if you are a challenger bank or a neobank and then you convert to being a traditional bank, what does that mean for your valuation? Because the the entire (laughs) model and the way that they assess it is different. Um, And if you are a bank and then you adopt... Front of technology well life's pretty good um but a lot of these guys were expecting the neobank fintechs that the big banks will come and say oh you've picked up two million in our mar- two million customers in the market we'll buy you to get the customers but the problem is because they don't make money and buying those customers doesn't generate any revenue for the bank. And because those fintechs have been doing very speedy onboarding and maybe not adhering to compliance KYC, CDD requirements, as well as the banks would like, for the bank to adopt a 2 million customer base with a front-end fintech, they're not only not making money from that, but they're actually also taking on a whole world of potential regulatory problems, financial penalties, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Or they have to take it and go through and clean the house up. And who knows what's going to be left at the end of the day there. Two customers. (laughs) Are you you
1: a fan of some of these so-called valuations?
2: I am a, a fan of the industry. It's a very exciting time. I think that some of these valuations can and will be okay if these... Neo banks pivot their models and start to earn revenue. My concern is over the next five to six years, what's going to happen with these businesses? If you've got a, over a billion dollar valuation on a company that's losing money and doesn't have revenue in its model, it just they just need to find that next step in. How next do they pivot
1: to... if it seems like it's a race to the bottom?
2: Through adding traditional banking revenues, in my opinion, or providing a different utility. Right. So the best way for neobanks, in my view, which is not everyone's view going forward, is to actually make a much more focus on big data, customer data, and actually taking control and becoming a bit of a you know life helper to its customers. So it becomes a loyalty issue within the application where all of your information is stored. PSC 2 helps for that with AISPs and PISPs, but that's one of the biggest issues. And also, it's so bloody easy to sign up and to Mm -hmm. do everything. So customer loyalty is kind of going out the window. Who's got a sexier app? Whose card's sexier? Which one can I sign up to faster? I'm with a neobank, and they told me that as of two months from now, they're bringing a limitation on ATM withdrawals. Which is cool because now I won't use their card for ATM withdrawals. I'll use the other one. So there's so all. So if these... we opened
1: your wallet, yeah, which which uh, neo banks or fintech cards would we find in your wallet?
2: You would. I didn't bring my wallet today, Suresh, because I've heard about you. you. Heard. Suresh um, pay. Yeah. So uh, no. Yeah, like, place I'm place. in a jungle. No. I, <laughs> um, I you, you'd find a number of them. I've signed up for a lot of them. Um and, trial, I guess. Yeah, opposed... to trial, but I use them as well. I use Revolut. I uh, don't use, put my salary on it or any money that I can't lose on it. I think they're great. I love the utility. The security is not there. If one of these neobanks collapse or fintechs fall over, your money is gone. That is alarming. A lot of consumers don't know that. Luckily, most of the consumers who the neobanks are targeting are young and don't have much money. Um, but yeah, these are the, so you would find a Revolut card in my bag. You'd find a Curve card. You'd find a N26 card. You wouldn't find so a bunk saw, card because they wouldn't your, let me have did one. Did you
0: see the uh, fundraising, the crowdfunding they, they did recently? Who? Curve? Card. No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, they put a limit of one million to raise. And okay. they hit that in ten minutes. Wow. Uh, then they raised the limit to six million. How long do you think it took them to get to six million? I, Three and a half hours. Wow. Wow. Three and a half hours on Wouldn't it be
2: genius if they mandated that you had to put that money in via your curve card, by the way, as well? <laughs> yeah, it's impressive.
0: So they, they can still raise money. And that's raised on a 200 million valuation with half a million customers. Yeah,
2: yeah no, they are. And, you know, I mean, everyone's still raising money. The, the VCs are still pumping the cash in and i haven't read the internal business plans of all of the neobanks maybe they all have an idea that i'm unaware of Um, but this is the main industry that we work with it's working with these neobanks and the challenges and saying how do we actually leverage your technology but add real banking products and services behind it to, to get that revenue so the industry is not going anywhere anytime soon, it's just there are challenges for everybody, not just the old banks. And what
1: are your thoughts on the European regulators? Do you think they get it right? Because you've kind of come from you know overseas, you've kind of, you know, four or five years you've been here, four years, but do you think the, the European regulation is kind of running the show globally and everyone's looking at it saying, we want to copy them, or do you think they're actually making a lot of mistakes as the first mover?
2: Look, I I don't know if everybody's saying they want to copy them. I think one of the issues for European-based um, challenger banks, fintechs and payment companies is that it is an open market here and it's a lot easier. So it's a much easier market to navigate um, regulatory-wise. As opposed to the cartel a- in Australia. As opposed to the absolute cartel, exactly. No, but you know, if you look at going to the US, you've got to get a license in every single state the regulator in the U.S. is, or the regulators in the U.S., are actually very friendly and flexible. They like innovation, but the time it takes for you to actually get regulated in each individual in state. state, you know, your business model is probably not even relevant by the time you've finished. So that means that a lot of the either small credit institutions there or the pre-existing multi-licensed banks are taking that, going to get that market anyway. Um, I, I don't think that the European regulators are making big mistakes. I think that change has to happen and change has to come. I think that it's financial regulation, banks are slow, everything's slow. But yeah, I think it's um, probably one of the best places um, to actually see innovation and growth happening. And then you're going to get places like Canada and Australia who are all just sitting back having a beer right now watching. Again, come and cherry pick the best parts of it and try and implement it.
1: We always say that we work in payments, we're in this bit of a bubble, right? We kind of talk payments, live payments, all of these things. And we have something I don't know if you've heard of any of our earlier episodes, but we have something called the man on the street. Okay. And if there was something that you wanted to ask the man on the street, what would you ask them?
2: I would ask them if they think their money's safe with FinTechs. That's what I would ask. But okay. that's that's
0: Is your money safe with FinTechs? Yeah. Could we oh, go out to the man Is on your the money
2: is your money safe in a fintech neobank application? That's a question I'd. L- I know the answer. I, I would just I like, would like to know their two answer,
1: ways, which is, Do you know what a fintech is?
2: Good point. Yeah. And then do you, you know do, what money is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you know what money is? It's do you
2: thought. speak English? Yeah. Is this conversation working for you? Yeah. No. Okay. No,
0: sorry. <laughs> sorry. So I think
1: we should so, ask the man on the street.
0: Yes. Yeah. But so I think so. we. I think we'd go. Do you know what fintech is? Yeah. If they don't know, we'd tell them things like Monzo, Revolut, etc. And then say, if you had your money with those organisations, do you think it's safe? Is
2: it as safe as sitting with normal bank?
0: Would you prefer Monzo or Barclays? Yeah. Let's do it. The man on the street.
3: It could be a woman. My name is Z.
4: So have you heard of the word fintech?
3: No, I have... Okay,
4: what about that? Challenger Bank? Heard, heard one of those?
3: No. Uh,
4: so who do you bank with at the moment?
3: I bank with uh, Nationwide, but I also have an account with Monzo.
4: Monzo, okay. Do you, Here's a big question then. Do you have your salary paid into your Monzo account?
3: No, I was a bit hesitant to do that actually. Um, I'm not too... Maybe because they haven't built my trust all the way up yet, but um, I'd rather keep my money with Nationwide at the moment. I just like moving money into the Monzo account just to
4: budget. Okay, so that was the reason why you opened it in the first place? Wasn't it?
3: Yeah, and to use my Monzo card abroad because they don't
4: charge you for using the card. Okay, so how did you find Monzo?
3: A lot of my friends use it, a lot. so.
4: Why would you not then put all of your money into your Monzo account?
3: I don't have a definitive answer, but I... I've been with Nationwide for so long that um, that I, I'd just rather keep my money with Nationwide. I think I trust it more, basically. Even though I trust Monzo, to an extent, I trust Nationwide
5: more. Uh,
4: yeah, it's Ahmad. Ahmed. so have you heard of the term fintech? Yeah. And what does fintech mean to you?
5: Uh, ooh, I would say it's uh, the new way of how financial services are operating right now. So all the new banks, uh, they're more digital uh, no physical branches. They're um, more targeting millennials. Um, yeah, I think that sums it up. Yes, that that does. And you
4: and you're not in fintech yourself. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm <laughs>
5: quite interested. Though. That's a, that. <laughs>
4: that's a pretty concise answer, actually. So, um, so have you? Do you mind me asking who you bank with?
5: Oh, uh, quite a few. So, if you look in terms of like fintech, I would, I, I'm I'm um, customer of Monzo, Revolut um yeah these are the main ones i use um i'm also banked with hsbc and uh, nationwide you spread the love <laughs> do you spread your salary though do you where, where does your salary go they have, they have they have different uh usage so i don't really use Revolut. I've, I've became a customer to compare it to monzo which i subscribed to earlier and uh, I found myself more comfortable with uh, Monzo, so I, 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 I'm sticking with Monzo. I don't use Riverloo at all. Um, I use Monzo mainly uh, when I'm traveling abroad. Um, and if I'm using it within the UK and I'm, I know I'm going to be splitting bills, it's so convenient to split bills through, right?
4: So, where does your salary go each month? Uh, HSBC. Right. Would you switch it over to one of those challenges you mentioned? Not
5: yet why it's still uh, there's a lot okay there are a few things so there is a bit of uncertainty uh with the fintech companies i work in tech so i know that it's not 100 percent reliable and you have seen it sometimes they have like total outage for a few hours you're not able to reach your money with normal bank you can just like walk into the branch during the day and withdraw some cash um and like total outages are a lot it would happen a lot less than it would within the fintech companies hopefully like in the next few years um, they will have more reliable services and uh, I don't want to be in a situation where I need money and uh, not able to because of an outage somewhere.
4: Hi, can I ask your name sir? My name is Dia. Dear, now have you heard of the word fintech?
5: I've heard it before but I don't know what it is. Oh, Sterling. Starling. Is that yeah, a bank? It is. Okay, it cool. Is a bank. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Do you think you would ever trust one of those what we call fintechs or challenger banks of of any kind with your money.
5: Um, if they are the only option, I would.
4: What about things like um, when you go abroad, like uh, travel money and that sort of thing? Do you always use your bank's travel money services?
5: I use my credit cards and my ATM cards. That's mainly. I don't use cash anymore. So.
4: Okay. Do you do you think that those some of those services when you go outside the country are quite expensive?
3: Mm. I don't look.
0: <laughs> the man on the street. It could be a woman. Well, that was a surprise. Did you expect that answer? Always. You always expect the answer. What about, what about you? Do, do, Absolutely you Really shocked. think that? The, yeah, I, I, I can see how shocked you are.
2: It was a bit, a bit of a mixed bag, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. Anyway, no, but the bin <laughs> yeah. of confusion. No, yes. no, no one's ever grabbed it out of our hands before and done it themselves. And I think that, that, that's a sign of a, a good CEO, that they take control. Take control. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you, who, who, who do you admire in the CEOs in the fintech world? Are there, are there people that you think are outstanding?
2: Look, I actually um, admire most fintechs in the payments and, and fintech world, mainly for their ability to get up in the morning and keep on keeping okay, on. What
1: about globally beyond fintech? Like, oh. Are there CEOs that you sit there and think, that's what I want to be like?
2: no. So, oh, this is a really bad question for me. No, I literally work, watch Netflix and sleep, so I don't do enough of that. No, I'm joking. So you, watch. That out. Sorry. <laughs> so, um,
0: so you watch Startup yeah. on Netflix?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a, No, I watch Money Heist. No, and sorry, a bad joke. Um,
0: yeah. Who doesn't watch Fleabag?
2: Um, <laughs> look, I think it's more organisations and individuals. For me, maybe it's an Australian thing as well, which is that we are quite a self-deprecating people. But, you know, I don't really like standing and listening to people talk about themselves for hours and hours and hours so that's why you um, never get
1: on with robert yeah
2: never oh well, i've already picked that up in the last <laughs> 25 minutes so <laughs> but yeah Did so, you say i'm wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah there's companies that i think i think are really interesting that I, I like to watch from that perspective you know and, and just take experiences from even if you look at google who i'm not saying i'm a big fan of any of their c levels or not either way just the experience of them going from a small business to a larger business, and the candid nature of how they actually talk about the, t- the problems that they've had with expanding and going through those different stages, I find that quite um, inspirational. The yeah, yeah, um, and that's actually which I didn't say before, but when it comes to all these women events that are, that occur, one of the actual best and most important things about it is that women are very candid and honest around other women in those scenarios where women will actually sit together on those events or you'll have a woman who has been the CEO or leader of a business stand on stage and speak for 20 minutes about all the biggest mistakes she's ever made in her career and how it made her feel and how she mentally got through it and those types of things. That is such a powerful and important thing that is actually energizing and, um, you know, Give it gives women that power themselves that things don't have to be perfect you know so i think any information that comes from big corporate ceos or leaders that you know it's a struggle to get to the top you've got to work hard and everyone other people have been in in the place you are and that's what inspires me i just didn't answer your question successfully right? no
0: no no it was just it was reminding of me in my son's book i got him when he was going through puberty to and and it's like these education books when you when parents are too embarrassed to talk about it with their kids, yeah. You always give them a book. Yeah. And it had a page, and it had about sixty different pictures of penises, just to show you that there is Everyone's no such a thing different. as a normal penis. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how that fits in, but.
2: No, but that's no, but that's. Do you know what I mean. I absolutely know what you mean. It's okay. We have lady ones like that for so the girls. chest area. Um, no, but that's the reality. People have a lot of. Suresh is really enjoying himself. No, people, just, yeah, I've never heard people, the word people, Robert,
1: Robert being on. embarrassed on the same. Like Robert being embarrassed <laughs> of anything is just like, I've never heard of that.
2: <laughs> but you yeah, see me embarrassed. It's a no. strive for perfection, though, and especially, um, I actually don't remember her name, but the, the woman in the U.S. with the, the blood testing, the woman who had the, it was for diabetics, instant blood testing in the U.S., raised hundreds and hundreds of millions for this, it's something strip, this blood testing strip. Right. Um, and turns out, yeah, that girl, Elizabeth Holmes, and it turns out that her product didn't work at all never worked at all, and now there's a... Read all about it. It's insanity. Yeah, she invented a way to... write. Yeah, so it was a hoax. So you could do 30 lab tests with one drop of blood. The reality is they never had the product. So she came up with the idea. It's almost like the idea of just changing that prepaid bin in the back-end settings, which isn't a thing. She went to market. She impressed everybody. And, yeah, exactly. Um, But what she did was she just presented herself everywhere so inadverted adverted commas, perfectly um, that, you know, people wouldn't even challenge her in terms of what she was doing and how she was, you know, doing those things. Those are the wrong, A, wrong role models because it was a scam in the end or it didn't work in the end. Um, but women in leadership have historically been a bit too, queenly a little bit too i have to be perfect i have to look perfect i have to say the right things everywhere and that's really damaging for young women and young people who are trying to look to idols because they're not perfect it's it's the same as looking at cosmo and seeing like you know zero cellulite bums for days and days and days it's not a reality um, and so you know you're never going to think that you can achieve that when you're looking at people at the top who aren't a reflection of reality um so i'm all about people in positions of power being honest and being candid and sharing their mistakes so that other people know that perfection is not the requirement. It's, it's drive and dedication.
1: So what's the longest FBS. sentence you can say with as much acronyms and jargon as possible about payments?
2: Okay, the slow implementation of PSD2 has led to a... Resurgence of new of old business models due to AISP and PISPs being delayed based of the lack of regulatory insurance required by the regulators, having them now looking to party with EMIs and PIs to do API access because the banks themselves aren't ready with open banking APIs, they having to move their business information and. AI data management platforms from heavily encrypted blockchain um, technologies to immutable uh, non-immutable data storage many of them are accessing the cloud i don't know i'm just going to kill myself at this point guys that was, yeah, was all we're liking that we're yeah liking but that. That's that's that but but it wasn't a logical statement so uh that's the thing I mean, no, one that's it. It. no one understands it oh okay great just, right, right. Just, yeah you should have heard I, dave Birch.
0: he went on for half an hour
2: oh we, that's we, every time we I had try- to I kick know. him in the balls three yeah. times
0: before he got off stage
2: that's that's pretty good. I would. I, I always use and pretty... jargon
1: when we don't want people to understand what we're saying because we don't know what we're saying.
2: Absolutely, that's why we do it. All right, good. <laughs> so but, uh... I, I
1: have a question for you. In terms of cultural differences, right? You know, are there any stereotypical ways in which British fintechs operate? Like you almost, you know, if if it was The Office mocking, like is is there any any things that you see? You know, like the Brits fintechs, they always operate or do things in a certain way, and the German fintechs do it in this
2: way? (laughs) Yeah, um, I do, but I don't know if it's that relevant. One thing I find with the British fintechs over, say, the European fintechs, is they do, even though they're innovative, take a much more traditional approach to making decisions. We're looking at five vendors, we're putting a position paper together and it's going up to the board, Um, and that is an experience I've had with fintechs here, especially once I get any funding. So fintech start, they're exciting and innovative, break shit, get shit done. Funding comes in, old guy comes in, corporate governance, management, da 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 Required, very important, but I, I see the culture slip and move a lot. Whereas if you look at the Eastern European and the Central European fintechs, They've stayed with their wear fun, wear funky, get shit done, poke your finger up at whoever approach more so. Not including Germany because Baffin's not your friend. So, But, every, but everywhere else, that's, that's something that I have seen. The biggest issue with the UK fintechs is they're just so UK oriented. Um, and that's one of the biggest problems that they've got. There's so many UK fintechs whose entire markets are in Europe and they're licensed here, and they haven't got a plan.
0: We like it, good. we like it. we we've got to get out of the sanctuary I, I thought you were so, going to say something like, they wear their trousers up to their chest.
2: Oh, like sorry, ankles. Sorry, that's what you wanted to hear. Yeah, everyone's ankles are showing. So we're like a little, like, oh, guys, you all wore socks. Way to make me look like an idiot today. We put them on outside. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every time I go into a fintech here, all the boys have um, dark, round, plastic, nerdy, um, what are cool people called? Hipsters, hipster glass. I'm oh, so cool. Oh. Uh, hipster glasses, and they've got their what do they call ankle dusters with the ankles showing the loafers. So I've seen more leg on a guy in the UK um, than I have since I was in Australia. Wow, which is the opposite. Which That's is they sensitive. just cover the bare minimums. Cause it's do so they? Hot. They all wear speedos to the office. Oh, if you're unlucky, yeah. That's scary.
0: <laughs> so pushing back, mm-hmm. we are stuck here. The the, the light is dimming. Uh, the dingoes are coming out. Um, I think we better we' we'll move to somewhere safe high ground uh, high um, moral ground too obviously because uh, we, we are we are the statement of morality within this industry <laughs> um, thank you very very much Dora you have been forthright uh, you have coped with my bad humor and Suresh. <laughs> Full stop. Collected. <laughs> uh, you dived into the sea bag of confusion without any prompting, uh, and you've been very kind of your answers. So thank you very thank much. You. Thank you for
3: joining us. Thank you very much. FinTech Unplugged is available for download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and TuneIn. So please subscribe today and remember to give us a five-star rating.